This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I trust you are doing well today. Well, what a busy day it has been. We've all been remarking on it. Uh, it was a, a hot and heavy day in the House of Assembly and uh, lots and lots of government announcements and other news that uh, is uh, all there for you to consume. Well, the Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development now admitting that he misspoke when describing 750 new government housing units being built across the province. The CBC reported today that despite government claims that 750 homes have been built in the last two years, just 11 government-owned housing units are currently ready to be lived in. The government claim, which has been mentioned repeatedly, was the focus of debate in the House of assembly today. Well, Minister Pike rose to address the issue, finally admitting that the 750 he first referenced in an interview actually had to do with the total number of spaces created in the public, not-for-profit, and subsidized private sectors. Here's some of how that went this afternoon. Speaker, the Minister of Housing is unequivocal. I quote, in the last two years, we built 750 new homes in this province. We didn't get an answer from the Premier. We didn't get an answer from the other ministers. So I'm going to ask one more time to the Minister, can he tell us where are they? The Honourable Minister of Children, Social Development. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if I had known I was going to get cheered like that every time, I'd stand up more often. Thank you. Mr. Speaker, we are making great inroads in, in uh, housing in our province. Um, the, the, the units that you were asking about, uh, again, uh, the, we have eight just completed down in uh, Pleasantville. We have 32 more approved. They're going to be under construction. And we are building a 40-unit apartment building down there as well. Happy Valley Goose Bay. We've completed four. 16 now are under development. 16 of those. We were down there and opened those a while ago, and the response from the community was fantastic. And we are hope to do more bills right around the province. Gander, six completed. Mr. Todd has expired. The Honorable Member for Fairyland. Speaker is amazing. The Minister of Housing thinks he's doing a stellar job. Will the Minister apologize to the 28 families that are on the housing wait list? 2,800. 2,800. Sorry. Oh, the Honourable, the Minister of Children, Seniors, Social Development. Thanks. <laughs> uh, thank you for the, uh, for the question. We are doing great work in the province. We are. Th thank you. Uh, supportive housing. 76 supportive housing units at the gathering place. Tell me that's not a good plan. Tell me that's not a good idea. 56 under construction. Transitional units. Center of Hope opened 20 new bids. Gathering place, an extra 10 shelter bids. Safe Haven, 74. Connections for Seniors, 4. We are doing great work. We are. 
We're taking care of the most vulnerable. We're Lord, doing please, wonderful. Time has expired. The Honourable the Member for Fairyland. Thank you, Speaker. 2,800, and that number continues to rise. Yeah. Speaker, the Minister of Housing says he's built units that do not exist. The Minister of Service NL disagrees with the housing advocates on the issue of renovations. Will the ministers admit that they're a part of this problem? The Honourable Minister of Digital Government, Service and Health. Thank you, Speaker. And it's a very important question. And we, in terms of the residential tenancies port, portion, uh, and when tenants can get evicted, you know, I have had a lot of conversations with community advocates. Uh, with, I'm, I'm really open to any conversation. Anytime the opposition wants to come over, I'm very happy to sit down with them and talk about the options. What, you know, I've reviewed them in depth. I've looked at the research. I continue to do so. And at the moment, I think that the solution that we have in, our, in terms of our residential tenancies legislation delivers the lowest rent for people of the province. Thank you, Speaker. The Honourable the Member for Fairyland. Speaker is unbelievable. While the minister says they're, are living in, they're delivering another 750 new homes, there are empty fields and empty building lots. The field across the street is not empty. When will they see housing? The Honourable the Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, uh, I'll take this opportunity, to, uh, opportunity just, as the, uh, just as the member across the way did, to say that I misspoke uh, in an interview in Gander. There's no doubt about that. Um, that was a few weeks ago. Uh, it is accurate, as I've said before, that there are 750 new housing options out there. And uh, these options have been uh, created uh, across the province uh, since uh, 2021. And they deal with new bills, they deal with staff shelters and rental assistance for the private market. And that's what I was referring to, and I misspoke. There's no doubt about that. So that's what uh, Paul Pike had to say, but the questions didn't end there. The debate continued with questions from NDP leader Jim Din. Thank you, Speaker. Speaker, the Minister of Children, Seniors, and Social Development in a recent review stated that the last two years we've built 750 new homes in this province. In the last two years we've done, seven, we've done 750 homes. He should know the difference. According to a CBC report mentioned here already, the actual number is 11. Will the Premier admit that what his minister said is a lie and has, mis and has misled the House and the people of this province about the actual numbers of house built? The Honourable the Minister of Children, Senior Social Development. Mr. Speaker, uh, what, what I said was, was that uh, I misspoke. And that happens. That happens at times. And I misspoke, I realized my mistake, and tried to correct it. Any other time that I spoke in this honorable house or to anyone, any other interviews, I certainly said that we look, we're, we certain, uh, 750 housing options. I did, and I made sure of that. And I, and I made sure that my colleagues wouldn't fall into that as well. So it was 750 housing options. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Leader of the Third Party. Speaker, on October 16th in the House of Assembly, the Premier stated we introduced 750 new units that are currently being built. On October 17th, the Premier stated we had 750 units started between 21, uh, 2021 and beyond, but we added 750 new units since 2021. In an Instagram video, the Minister of Finance stated we've built 750 new affordable houses. So I asked the Premier, were these statements lies as well? 
The Honourable the Premier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And uh, of course, we certainly meant housing options, Mr. Speaker. The units and options uh, can be interchangeable at times, Mr. Speaker. We never, I never said, and the Minister has acknowledged that he misspoke when saying new homes, Mr. Speaker. That's, for, that's certainly reasonable, Mr. Speaker. But we have taken action, and I've always said developing 750 new housing options since 2021, with 850 more to be developed in the, in, in the this starting next month and into the next year, Mr. Speaker. Well, Din's line of questioning prompted this from Justice Minister John Hogan. Uh, the member from St. John's Centre used unparliamentary un un language when he referred to a member on this side of the House as a liar. I think he used the word, it's a lie. Uh, so I'd ask the member from St. John's Centre to withdraw that comment. The Honourable Member St. John's Centre. Uh, speaker, the serious is way too, uh, this issue is way too serious. I will not retract it. Thank you. Order, please. I will take some time uh, after we finish today to review answered and to see how the words were phrased and that. So I'll report back later. And the House of Assembly was uh, closed and uh, recessed until Monday, uh, soon after that. Well, coming up, the Muslim Association speaks out about the escalating violence in Israel. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we are back. Well, the Muslim Association of Newfoundland and Labrador are standing in solidarity with the civilians of Gaza who have been left without water, food, power, or humanitarian aid as the war in Israel intensifies. President of the local Muslim Association, Dr. Syed Prajada, joins me now. Well, Dr. Prajada, we're all watching the unfolding uh, situation in Israel with uh, great distress. What's the Muslims Association's response to what's happening? Well, I mean, as far as, you know, the you probably have already uh, seen the press release. You know, uh, obviously we have a, a sizable community, Arab-speaking community, and then, you know, other Muslims in our community. And um, entire community is extremely distressed. And, in fact, I have... Uh, some Palestinians, you know, their relatives, sister, you know, like brothers and sisters are in Gaza, and uh, you know they they are getting the news, and obviously they are telling us too, and that you know how uh, difficult it has become for their relatives. They are actually um, going in a in a you know vehicle or van with mattress, foam mattresses on top, and then just driving away from uh, here and there. It's like, you know, and wherever they can find a place, they will put the mattress and lie down there, but not knowing that when the next bomb is going to rain upon them, you know. Absolutely oh, shocking. Did. How how do you, in, in your kind of role and, and the community at large, how do you provide support to people who who have family and close uh, people in their lives going through that kind of thing? It's not easy, to tell you the truth, Linda, um, because, you see, I mean, everybody is helpless, especially the relatives who are here and the rel their uh, loved ones in um 
Gaza. I mean, I know for sure there are a couple of uh, people, you know, their two families. So what they have done is basically divided their children. So like one brother or sister has four children. The other one has three children. So they have said, okay, two children will go to the other family and two two children will go to the other family and they, they will, uh, you know, go uh, on their own so that if one family dies, not all the children are dead. You know, this is how they are kind of surviving this uh, onslaught, which, you know, the world is overlooking and world is ignoring it, you know. What are the solutions? How... I mean, how does this situation get resolved? How do people stay safe? How do people get the humanitarian aid they so desperately need? Linda, one thing you have to remember, you know, it is the injustice anywhere. doesn't matter, uh, you know, uh, Palestine or Israel or, uh, you know, Ukraine or Russia or Kashmir or anywhere. Injustice of any kind will you know, always, uh, you know, come up, you know, with these outbursts, you know. So obviously, when our politicians, uh, rather than looking at the bigger picture and responding as a knee-jerk reaction and, you know, you know not, uh, not um, coming up with a, clear picture or clear, uh, you know, strong voice for saying that injustice, doesn't matter on which side, injustice of any kind, you know, will not be tolerated. But when you when you come and tell that no matter what, you know, we are standing with one party or the other, that is not going to resolve the problem. We have seen it time and time again, and that, you know, we have to address the root cause, and we all know what is the root cause. So rather than, you know, beating around the bush and trying to, you know, demonize one party or, you know, glorify the other or victimize the one and demonize the other one, that is not going to solve the problem. That is only going to fan the fire of hatred, and the fan, you know, and it will erupt some, some, you know, maybe after uh, Gaza. I mean, I have been to Israel. I have seen, you know, what is going on. And the thing is, like Gaza is the biggest open air prison, uh, you know, in the world where the population, you won't believe it, that, you know, children, every few years, every few uh, months, you know, the schools are targeted, the schools are bombed, hospitals are bombed, and, you know, mosques are bombed. So what happens? All these young kids who have no goal, they are basically wandering around in Gaza and have no, you know, uh, aim and no objective. So what do you expect? You know, we have to address the root cause. We are, for the past 70 years, we have been trying to ignore the root cause and then uh, just, you know, give them uh, food, give them money, give them water. But that's not that's not enough, you know. 
the injustice has to be resolved. The injustice has to be kind of, you know, taken care of. Otherwise, we'll continue to have these eruptions every uh, few years. Dr. Syed Purjada, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. In the meantime, now Israel's defense minister has told troops to be ready for a ground assault on Gaza, but hasn't revealed how soon that might happen. Israel has massed tens of thousands of troops along the border following the October 7th cross-border massacre by Hamas militants. The news comes as the World Health Organization says it's ready to enter Gaza with five truckloads of medical supplies if the Rafah border crossing with Egypt reopens tomorrow. And around uh, the, uh, sorry, the U.S. State Department has issued a worldwide caution warning Americans of the potential for terrorist attacks and violent demonstrations around the world as the Israeli-Hamas uh, war intensifies and threats against American interests rise. Very distressing um, indeed. Um, and um, so fraught with, with um, you know, polarizing beliefs and thoughts and uh, and the like. And as uh, Dr. Prajada pointed out, injustice of any kind uh, should be denounced regardless of where it is or how it's taking place. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you are certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, uh, NAEP is backing QP's concerns over government contracting out maintenance and renovation work on 143 shuttered Newfoundland and Labrador housing units in the province. VOCM's Brian Callahan caught up with NAEP President Jerry Earle during NAEP's biennial convention in the capital city this morning. What do you make of CUPE's um, statement in the last 24 hours regarding overtime, regarding staff that they have that could be doing these work, this work instead of contracting out on NL housing? Absolutely. Look, public sector employees have always stepped up and available to do this work, and in this case, add the employees. Because unfortunately, the employees don't get to make the decision. These employees have wanted to do this work. These employees, I'm sure, represented by CUPE, wanted to be able to keep these housing units open, but they don't make the decisions, but they often feel the brunt of those decisions because I believe those members like the members we represent could have and would have maintained those facilities had they been given the ability so again frontline workers feel the brunt of that saying well they didn't do their job they were doing their job it was just the decision makers weren't empowering them uh, with the tools necessary and the funding necessary most likely. So is it full of, fair to say that NAEP fully supports CUPE in that in that statement and, uh, and their position on this? Absolutely we would support a sister union we'd certainly support those frontline workers we face similar things. We're saying it now that public sector employees, whether in healthcare or in other areas, can do that work. Demonstrated during the pandemic. That's who kept things going, frontline workers, uh, and we believe that's who can keep this province in a better position going forward. Uh, versus the contracting out. Versus co contracting out. As I said in my speech, it does not do better, it costs more. And that's a simple fact in a campaign that we ran a couple of years ago when we were talking about privatization and the Green Report and the Rothschild Report. It does not do better. And this Auditor Generals have said that. And in multiple instances, we can demonstrate where that's the case. Public services cannot be done better by the private. And I'll debate that anybody, any day, anywhere, whether government, border trade, where it might be. Public service can be delivered better by public sector workers. 
And that's Nate President Jerry Earle speaking with VOCM's Brian Callahan at their biennial convention in the capital city this morning. If you have any thoughts on that or anything else, you're welcome to give us a call. Coming up, a father with nowhere else to turn to help his adult daughter with special needs reaches out. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, a local pharmacist whose 21-year-old daughter has a rare chromosomal defect is expressing frustration now that she has aged out of the system. What does that mean for Corey McDonald and his family? Well, he joins me now. Hello, Corey McDonald. Hi, how are you, Linda? Good. So you and your family facing a fairly difficult scenario here. You have a daughter, 21 years old, with a rare genetic um, condition, um, unknown anywhere else in the world. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, They found a girl in Germany with a similar type, but not identical to what Kennedy has. So she has some pretty profound global delays, and because of her age, you're having some real difficulties finding care for her so that you and your wife can continue working and making sure that everybody has a roof over their heads and food in their bellies. That's correct, and not only the work, about I mean, we really can't do any extracurricular, like we can't go to a movie or, or basically out to supper together if we don't have anyone to care for Kennedy. So basically one of us has to be with Kennedy at all times because she needs supervision all the time. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very sad situation. So as you say, she's aged out of the system. What do you mean exactly? Are there any supports out there for someone of her age? No, unfortunately, after 21, um, the school board will not uh, take anyone past 21. Um, I tried and see if they would extend it for us because um, we didn't send until she was six years of age due to her delays. Um, and now that we're faced with life after school, um, started working in September 2022 on this situation because I knew uh, I needed to hit the ground running early. And even though it's been over a year, we are still uh, without any support. So there's no programming. Um, I spoke with the Minister of Community Service Social Development, uh, Minister of the Education System, other um, people within the social services and, and social workers department. And uh, basically they just give us some ideas and, and put it on me and my wife to figure this out when I really believe that there should be a system in place for children aging out of the school system into after-school life. And I can't say that there's a gap in the system because it's non-existent from what I've learned over the past years trying to research some kind of some kind of resource or some kind of um, what Kennedy can be involved in, in um, after-school life. Right. So she has these um, fairly significant needs. Um, she can't care for herself. You explained to me before that she's she's she has similar needs to a toddler. So she needs 24-hour care. Um, but she also needs to live a life. And you want her to have that stimulation. And you say there's no programs out there at all? Well, there's Programs, uh, I guess, like Easter Sales and, and Vera Plan and Resource Center, but Kennedy needs a one-on-one worker, um, yeah, Resource Center, yeah, sorry. Um, 
but she needs one-on-one where at all times. Like the Vera Plant Society is an amazing uh, society. I went there and, and, and took a tour of the place to show me the programming. Um, but they don't have one-on-one workers to come with the special needs adults. And um, Kennedy would need that because of toiletry and feeding and, and just if she had a beaver outburst and, and and things like that, and, and even like Easter sales programming, we sent her there, and and because of behaviors and stuff like that, she had to come home. That was like before she was out of school, because we just tried to give her some kind of stimulation and and, and be involved with other uh, individuals. I mean, we don't want her sitting at home playing on her iPad all day. She deserves some form of quality of life and socialization, because she is an absolute social butterfly. Um, but unfortunately. Um, she needs someone with her at all times. And um, that's the stumbling block that we face. And you'd ha- you've had difficulties with uh, uh, keeping workers as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, trying to find a um, respite care worker or personal care attendant, um, it's very difficult to find. We've dealt with a few agencies, and, and even the agencies, like, for example, we're supposed to have a worker show up at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning, and when 10 o'clock came, no one showed up. So we contacted the worker, and the worker's like, oh, I'm sorry, I took a new position. The agency was supposed to let you know. So that's how we find out about things like that. It's just like the communication, um, not like people people not wanting to work, the, the pay that's out there for personal care attendants and, and respite care workers is, like, I, I don't think – high enough, um, but it's just every every corner we turn, we're faced with, like, blocks. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a hard situation. Corey McDonald, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough situation, and uh, certainly he can't be alone in that. If anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, the provincial government has announced the details of a continuous glucose monitoring pilot project. Here's pediatric on. Onco- endocrinologist Dr. Heather Power with Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. She joined uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne for the announcement this morning. This is a fantastic day for kids and families with a child with type 1 diabetes and is an important step in providing the best diabetes care available for our children. Through a procurement process, we've selected Dexcom and Medtronic as the manufacturers as a project. As a result, the Dexcom G6 and G7 and the Medtronic integrated guardian sensors and standalone guardian sensors will be eligible for financial coverage. As Minister Osborne has said, these devices take glucose measurements every couple of minutes from a little sensor that's just worn underneath the skin. They then send real-time measurements so we can see the measurements, so parents can look at it on their phone, know what their blood sugars are, have that reassurance, know if they need to act on it or not act on it. So that alone is really valuable, decreases anxiety, improves quality of life. A really exciting aspect of it, though, is when patients are also wearing a compatible insulin pump. These newest generation of pumps, when worn with their compatible sensor, can run what's called a hybrid closed loop system. There's a little algorithm on the pump that in response to the real-time data the pump is receiving from the continuous glucose monitor, 
it knows not only what the blood sugar is, but is it increasing, is it decreasing? And then the pump can autonomously either increase or decrease insulin delivery based on that information. So that helps to prevent hyperglycemia from happening. It helps to prevent hypoglycemia or worrisome low blood sugars from happening. So minute to minute, it improves how someone who has type 1 diabetes and wearing one of these systems feels. It's preventing low blood sugars, which are very scary and can be dangerous. And because it really helps to prevent high blood sugars, it will also really improve glycemic control over time and help to prevent long-term complications of type 1 diabetes, which is also a big source of anxiety and worry for families. We worry about it for our patients, and these systems are, are really showing to help with that. And I can't emphasize enough how much it's helping for our patients who are wearing it. Um, as Minister Osborne said, uh, people eligible um, are the kids uh, who right now under 18 or who are followed by a pediatric uh, center. We still have some over 18s that, that we follow for an additional year or so. It's not a big lot of expectations put on the families and kids to be part of the pilot project. It's basically the diabetes care that they're already receiving from their team. We do ask that families complete a training session before they start using the sensor. They'll have to get their A1C blood test done approximately three months after they start, which is a regular part of diabetes care anyway, so it's not a big expectation on the family. We're gonna ask them to commit to wearing the sensor 90% of the time, so we get the best results, get the best information. And really, when we have one of these sensors, people wanna wear them all the time, so that's not a big ask for people to do. Um, we want them to use the information that they get in conjunction with their diabetes care team to make safe and effective decisions for managing the diabetes, and to make sure that they're sharing their data with the care team so that we can all together make the best decisions uh, to help manage the diabetes. Managing diabetes, particularly in pediatrics, is a team effort. As a diabetes physician, I work with children, their caregivers, other healthcare professionals to try to provide the most effective and also least intrusive care possible for the kids. I'm personally very excited for this project because it means we have real-time data, we can make effective decisions, we can really act to achieve better diabetes control than we would have ever been able to in the past. And I think most importantly, like Minister Osborne said, it really improves the quality of life for the kids. It really improves the quality of life for the families. And it's the kids that we already have on these systems, it's making such a difference to them day to day. And also, it's going to make a big difference into the future. So we're, we're very, very excited. Um, we look forward to updating you guys on the results when we get them next year. So that is pediatric endocrinologist Dr. Heather Power with Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. Uh, she joined um, Health Minister Tom Osborne today for the announcement of that continuous glucose monitoring pilot project. It was first announced in the budget last year and the details came out today. Well, uh, coming up, uh, get ready for this one. You were talking about scurrying. Oh, yes. Yeah. What? Oh. No, the look on your face is priceless. Her neck is almost buried. Right, her face is near buried it into her neck. Uh. <laughs> what? I, okay. I don't know what's happening. All right. Well, you're soon going to. Um, <laughs> uh, one St. John's resident is fed up with gro a growing problem in his neighborhood. Oh. 
okay. And um, we're going to hear from him after the break. As long as we don't hear from the things that could be scurrying, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's more than just scurrying. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for that. Look, uh, this issue has come up repeatedly in the mm-hmm. past. And um, this is one resident who's just fed up and says the city needs to do something about it. We have a rat problem in, in the capital city according to uh, this resident and a lot of others uh, besides because we uh, we get these calls from time to time anyway we'll hear more when we come back after the break this is news talk on vocm stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm And we are back. And before we uh, go to Todd, I wanted to make mention of this. The Auditor General, Denise Hanrahan, has delivered her audit report on spending at Memorial University to government. The the province requested a full and comprehensive review of operations at MUN back in April of 2022 amid rising concerns about spending at the university. Well, the AG's report will help to inform final amendments to the Memorial University Act. Changes to the Auditor General Act introduced in 2021 allow the AG to access information and audit the use of government funds at Memorial. Previously, um, the AG wasn't able to do that. The province wants Memorial to move away from its reliance on government grants for general operating revenue. As of last year, Memorial was the most heavily subsidized university in the country at uh, 76.2% compared to the national average of 44.8%. So, um, uh, no word on on uh, when that uh, AG report will be made public. Normally it's um, presented to government. They'll have a look at it and then they'll release it uh, publicly. It will be most interesting to see what is contained therein and we'll be keeping a close eye on that, you can be assured. Well, a resident of Kellen Heights wants action from the city due to what he says is a growing rat problem in his neighborhood. Well, Todd Golding, you live in the Cowan Heights area. What are you noticing? I'm noticing the last month I've been uh, out in my back garden, and I, I'm in townhouse. It's it's my house, but uh, my back garden in that in the area has a high infestation of rats. I am averaging in the last month eight to thirteen. I'm catching a night or a day in a 24-hour period. This morning, I actually got one that was about three or four pounds. <laughs> it was a beautiful one this morning, if, you, if you're into that. I'm not myself. Now, Linda, I have placed calls to uh, the counselor for the area, which is Mr. Korab, and I have placed a call to the city's uh, mayor. Uh, I haven't been returned at this point. Uh, none of my calls have been returned to me. And that, and uh, actually, I've looked up the, uh, and I have people in the city of Halifax. I've looked up the regulations in the city of Halifax. Uh, if you have rodents on your property, the city will send out a team to assist you in getting rid of these. City of St. John's, and you can check this out on their website, doesn't have that. You're on your own, they basically say, and so does the provincial government's website. You're on your own when it comes to rodents. Now, in my backyard, I have a city green belt between me and the next street, which takes up probably about four to five housing building blocks. It's a big area. I can't control that. It's overgrown with grass and that. 
and uh, we know that would be an area that they would uh, they would settle. And uh, I have some neighbors that have untidy back gardens also. So, but uh, this city is really—I know my area. I shouldn't speak for everywhere else. My area is very overrun, and and I'm very frustrated with this situation right now. They're have not you, in my house, but they're in the back garden. Have you been uh, living in the area long? Have you noticed a big change over the years? I haven't been here. We I, we just purchased this house last. April, I think it was spring, in a way, springtime, and that's when we came in here. And uh, actually, I replaced my fence in the back garden about a month ago, and I have chews, uh, well, they have chewed holes through my new palings and dug under my new fence. And uh, I think they're using my, my garden as a highway sort of thing. <laughs> but if they get in my garden, they're in trouble because I have. Uh, extreme amount of uh, snap traps and live traps and uh, also I'm using poison also uh, and I have a dog and I clean up after that dog every time my dog uh, goes to the washroom but I got a few neighbors close to me that has dogs and they're not as diligent as I am so it all adds up to keep them rodents around but uh, I'm not getting too much uh, feedback from uh, our government agencies will say, and that I'm not getting no help. There's nothing put in place for this. And, and this is very frustrating, Linda, very frustrating. Well, we'll try and get uh, some reaction from the city to that. Uh, I know there, um, you know, from past calls that we've received and past conversations that we've had with the city that uh, the rodent population in uh, St. John's appears to be growing for a variety of reasons. One is a new development. The other is, you know, some changes that have been made in recent years. But uh, we'll stay on top of it. We'll try to get the uh, city's reaction to this. Really appreciate your call. Thank you so much, Linda. I really appreciate you uh, listening to me uh, because I'm a little bit at a standstill and VOCM is always there when, when people get a little bit frustrated and uh, give us a hand. A wonderful organization. And I really appreciate this voice in this avenue. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. So we have had calls about this in the past. Um, and there has been lots of discussion about this in the past when it comes to uh, rodent problems. In fact, I think there have been a couple of uh, national surveys conducted by um, various um, you know, uh, pest control companies and the like who have uh, called us the rattiest city in Canada. Remember all of that business and... Um, the like so uh it's it's a it's a difficult uh, situation and you know we do have a lot of wooded areas in recent years we s we've seen a lot of expansion of um, the city footprint so to speak in and around st john's extending out into wooded areas and that's you know where these creatures live so they come on in and they're in and around us uh so it's a tough one I was surprised um, just from a programming perspective. We, we had to give away or we were asked to give away from a client uh, these particular rodent. Uh, it just deters rodents, right? And I was thinking to myself, we're not going to hardly get anyone wanting to call in. Well, to this day, I mean, that was weeks ago. To this day, people are calling and asking me what the name of that is because they want to try you know anything at all I've had so many calls 
people are coming out of the woodworks with this problem. It's either a mice problem or a rat problem and they're at their wits end. Now, there are services out there where you can pay somebody to come by your house once a month and, and do that. That will give you peace of mind. But again, if you don't have the funds to do that, um, what do you do? I remember um, a long, long, long time ago, uh, we put poison, I think, in our house, where we just had something around to deter, and a puppy got into it, and then that dog was taken to the hospital. You really got to know what you're doing. This was years and years, years ago. So, yeah. you know, if you are going to use products, definitely know yeah, what you're a using. A lot of us do have pets, and that's a yeah. great now concern, you can, of course. You, you can get ways to humanely trap these animals, and also, if you are using a particular product, you can get products that if, you know, it were to get into your pet's mouth by accident, then it would be, you know, it, w- it would be safer. But still, I mean, you know, my senses went up when he said, you know, we've got poison all over the yard. And then I'm thinking, well, what happens if a dog gets in there, you know? What's going to happen to the animals? It's so hard to know what to do in these situations. Well, indeed. And the city of St. John's has a a couple of advisories to people uh, to prevent uh, rat infestations. Uh, Don't store garbage outside, of course. Place it at the curb no earlier than 6 a.m. on your garbage collection day. Remove bird feeders. That's a big Uh, uh, attraction. Which is hard to do if you love feeding birds. And you know that you've covered stories about this as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, food is food (laughs) and whatever's hungry is going to come get that food Um, don't store uh, pet food bird feed or lawn seed outside again so again Mm -hmm. those are sources of uh, yummy food and uh, if you're composting do it properly don't add uh, fish or meat to your backyard compost bins people who know how to compost know how to do it properly and it doesn't generally attract uh, vermin so and remove potential shelters like tall grass but now of course the city itself is is got this uh, policy in place where it's been leaving grassy areas have you noticed that on yeah, slopes and it's stuff? supposed to be healthier right yeah yes but on one hand <laughs> right it, right uh, but uh, and rats and mice and that sort of thing like to stay on the sides because you know everything is trying to eat and kill them <laughs> so they'd like That's to right. like go along a perimeter a, a f- fence line or okay. a, uh, a by the side of a house or something and that's te- generally speaking where the tall grass tends to be so they usually say you know cut that grass right right to you know the the fence and then you got people who say leave all your leaves because mm-hmm. it's good for the grass i wonder good for the ground is it good for the rats i have no idea anyway <laughs> oh, oh, what a nice we'll topic linda yeah Just sorry but it does get people talking <laughs> for sure and yeah. uh uh if um we'll try and get an expert or something on the show for tomorrow just to have a chat about this in case people are listening and saying yeah you know what i need to take care of this uh i've noticed something myself that's sometimes a great idea it, sometimes it's hard to notice and then when you do notice it's hard not to notice. It's hard not to notice. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, anyway, there you go. Yay. Uh, have a happy supper. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. In the meantime, uh, have a great evening, everyone. Uh, Sarah Strickland is in with our uh, news of the day, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.